This is Jake Brennan from Disgraceland, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts, Rockarola. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Come on in, dolls, and welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. You're about to kick back and relax with the world's most famous groupie again. So I'll take that title and I'll tell you exactly what it means. A groupie is just someone who loves to be with the groups. Pretty simple. You want to feel that feeling with the bands that give you that feeling. You want to be right there with them and experience what they experience. And that's all it is. You know, a groupie is a good word. Um, I've written some books. Uh, you know, you've probably heard of I'm With The Band. I've written four other books and I'm writing a sixth book right now. I have writing workshops all over the world with my dolls. I call them my dolls. I give rock and roll tours of LA called I'm with the band rock tours. And I spend a lot of my time creating looks for people, uh, you know, fashion. I'm a fashionista, let's face it. And um, I'm writing another book, like I said, and I have all kinds of stuff going on. And I'm very excited, though, to be a part of the Pantheon podcast, which is a network of rock and roll shows. And you can find us all our shows on Spotify and Radio.com and now on Apple and Pandora. And in fact, if you search, you can find us on 40 or 50 different podcast distribution platforms these days. And all of us here at Pantheon love telling the stories about all the great moments in rock and roll. We're trying to save the history. And there's something for everybody here. So many shows for you, so many flavors to choose. Anyway, find it all online at PantheonPodcast.com. Every time you tune in, expect lots of new announcements at the top of every show of Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. And finally, this is the one that means the most to us. If you enjoy what we do here, please head over to Pantheon Podcast and share a show with a friend. Share my show. How about that? Today I have a really special treat for everybody. My oldest friend, and I'm not talking about age, Iva Turner is here with me today. And we're going to talk about our history since we've known each other since the fourth grade. And we were hippies together on the Sunset Strip. We actually met Jim Morrison together. I mean, we panhandled all over Hollywood. And I mean, the things we got up to, it's pretty fascinating. So Iva is a writer, editor, a poet, and 
a plaster caster. So let's welcome Iva Turner right now. Iva! And they called it puppy love. Oh, I guess they'll never know. How a young heart really feels And why I love her so And they called it puppy love Hello dolls! Today I have a very special guest. I'm going to call her my oldest friend. She doesn't like it. But she is my oldest, most longest-running friend. My dear friend, Iva Turner, is here today. Iva Leslie Turner. And we're going to chit-chat about our lives together. I mean, we met in the fourth grade. And she remembers exactly what was said. So I'm going to introduce Iva right now. Hi, Iva. Hi, Pamela. (laughs) Yes, we met on the playground in Mm -hmm. elementary school in the fourth grade. Yep. I came out on the playground, and there was this girl standing there that I had never seen before. Pigtails. (laughs) Holding the biggest box of Crayola crayons I had ever seen. Right. So I went directly up to you, and I said, where did you get those? And you said, my mother gave them to me. And I said, why? You said, for being good. For being good. And I had never considered that you could ever get a gift for being good. (laughs) In my house, if you were good, you just didn't get smacked. I know. So I thought, wow, uh, how great to be good and get a gift. Yes, my mama was one of those great ladies who, very generous and only child. So, of course, that helps. I was pampered. Would you you say I was pampered? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's a better word than spoiled. Yes, I do too. I do, too. Why? Do you think I'm spoiled? No. Okay, good. No. (laughs) Didn't turn out that way. All right. And then, I mean, we became pretty much fast friends from that day. Yes. We were nine, right? It was school had just started. I had just turned nine. We were just both turned. You were about to turn nine. Well, we were about a month apart. Yeah. So, and what happened from there? I mean, your memory is so incredible. So much better than mine, everybody. (laughs) Uh, in in the fourth grade, we had Mr. McElmurray, and that's that's I, where we met. I remember Mr. McElmurray, and then we had Mr. Taylor. No. In between, what? in the fifth grade, we had um, uh, that teacher who uh, made us walk around in formations on the schoolyard and blew a whistle all the time, Mr. Dimitri. Oh, yes, Mr. Dimitri. I thought he was fourth grade. No, that was fifth. And McElmurray was McElmurray fifth. McElmurray oh, was okay. Four. See, she, her memory, you know, you guys the are going to really get a had, kick out of this. Then we had Mr. Dimitri, and he liked to, we, we did whatever we could to stay off the schoolyard during lunchtime. We didn't like it. But he made us go out and walk in formations because he was this military guy. But I liked him. We liked that. We really liked because our teachers kind of, back then. It had a rhythm. Uh-huh. When you're walking out there and he's blowing that whistle, so yeah. we liked that. <laughs> In the sixth grade, we had Mr. Taylor. Mr. The Taylor. The best teacher anybody I know, could have. I know, the best. What a great guy. Yep. And what was so unique about him was he, his encouragement to read. Mm-hmm. He constantly was encouraging us to read, and you got extra points for extra book reports. Yeah. And wow. he was very funny. He would come in singing some goofball song, kind of like a mad magazine song that he had memorized. He would come in, 
uh, go on home. Your mother was calling. Your father just fell in the washing machine. Uh, <laughs> How about her memory? That's insane. I found him memorable. Well, I I remember him. He had a he had a crew cut. Mm-hmm. He was a handsome guy. He was. And Iva and I used to do little performances in school. We did. <laughs> We were very entertaining, very early on. Yeah, we she were was dancers. a tap dancer. I was a tap dancer. Really good one. Thank you. And I just, I remember the one we did for personality. Mm-hmm. And you tap danced. You were playing the boy. She was playing the boy. And <laughs> she tap danced all around. And all I did was walk around in a circle with my arms held <laughs> out like this while she pursued me. The song Personality. Yeah, because you had such a great personality, I was chasing you. <laughs> who, who, who did that song? Oh, gosh, who sang Personality? Personality, walk, and, and personality, personality, talk, and personality, smile, and personality, charm, and personality, love, and personality. Of course, you got a great big heart. So, oh, anyway, uh, that's what we danced to. Or she danced, and I just walked around well, in a we circle. Did, we did other dances where we were both dancing. Okay, we did another one. Now, what was that one? Uh, this was later on, uh, but it was to uh, an instrumental at the beginning of the record of Porgy and Bess. Wow. You remember that? And we yeah. were in leotards. I, we, I actually danced that time, too. Yes, you did. Yes. We both danced. Yeah. It was modern dance. We choreographed it. And we danced this thing, and we got A's in it. So, yeah. But back up a tiny bit. <laughs> okay. One of the things that was so great about elementary school was that in order to stay out of the sun and the heat, because receded just will burn you to a crisp, <laughs> we volunteered to work in the ballroom. Yes, I remember. And the ballroom was this kind of <clears throat> a closet. The ballroom was sort of a closet, kind of big, like a walk, a big walk-in closet. Yeah, I remember it. I'm and, describing it now. And the, and the door was like the door on... Mr. Ed's house, you know, Wilbur. It opened on the top and stayed closed on the bottom. And then you could yes. set up there this. Those are called Dutch doors. Are they called Dutch? Yes. Oh, I always yeah. just think Wilbur whenever I do. <laughs> so um, there was a sign-in sheet. Yes. And kids would come to sign in, and then we would give them whatever ball they wanted for the activity, like tether balls and larger ones and uh, those ones that you... Punch and soccer, all that. Yeah, 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 all kinds of balls. Yeah, all kinds so of balls. So we thought the funniest thing to do was the way those balls were held in there was in sh- a shelf unit against the wall, this big shelf unit that covered floor to ceiling with all different kinds of cubicles of all different sizes. And we would climb into the cubicles and roll up in fetal position, and you couldn't see us from the front door. <laughs> and the kids would come up and go, Hello, hello, is there anybody in there? And we just didn't answer them, and they went away. We thought that was really funny. <laughs> oh God, that's terrible! But we never—I don't got remember involved. rolling up into a fetal position and yeah. getting in there. We would just be giggling in those cubicles. Oh, oh my! We word. thought it was hilarious. So, elementary school, uh, yes. and we discovered pretty quickly that we both had a, an interest in music. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And I came to mind through dancing, through tap dancing and ballet also. But when you do that, you're listening to all kinds of show tunes and every kind of music and because they have you dancing to everything. And you get really familiar with all of them. But then, you know, it logically went into rock and roll. Of course. Wow. And rhythm and blues, too, because our parents were listening to that. And, uh, And so you kind of stepped up into that. And then rock and roll happened huge and... I remember loving um, 
just everything that was coming out and it was except surf music <laughs> and, and yeah I, at the time I did not appreciate the I Beach Boys or Jan and Dean or any of that I later came to really appreciate them yes but at the time we were both into pop idols well you know with Jan and Dean before there was Jan and Dean, there was Jan and Arnie. Yes, that's and right. And Arnie was my cousin. I know. Still is. I know. And they did, what was Baby Talk, right? Uh, they it? did um, Jenny Lee. And I thought it was a, Baby Talk. And they got a gold record for it. Oh, yeah, Jenny Lee. Yeah. So. Why don't we play that? Let's play Jenny Lee. Yeah. By Jan and Jan Arnie. Jan Arnie. My cousin Arnie. Great song. Now, did you hang out with your cousin as a youngster? Well, I saw my cousins uh, occasionally, mm -hmm. but when Jan and Arnie happened, Arnie came over to the house. And I don't exactly know how, but the neighborhood heard about it. And all the kids came to our front yard. Huh. And at that time, there was a fan club starting up for Jan and Arnie, and I had a fan club card. I wish I still had it. Oh. But Arnie wasn't crazy about show business. Mm -hmm. And then Jan and Dean. Mm -hmm. So he, he Arnie another, decided that was Arnie's it. Arnie's an architect. Wow! So he went in a whole different direction. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. That you had a popular cousin. Do you remember, or did you go with? This is around the same time frame, to to meet Paul Anka when he was filming that. No, you went. That Paul Anka was filming a movie in our neighborhood, and it was called Look in Any Window, mm -hmm. and he was playing a peeping Tom pretty brave for a pop <laughs> idol at that time <laughs> and I he's the first rock god in quotes that I met and and that really did trigger me thinking wow these people are alive they're breathing they you know this is Paul Anka and I carried his signature I got his signature I was like eight maybe it was right before I met you anyway I carried it around my wallet for years and it didn't actually say Paul Anka it said Palaller. <laughs> it was such a scribble. I kept sh no one believed it was Paul Anka's, you know, because said Palaller. What was the first live rock performance you saw? The Beatles. First one. Wow. Yeah, That's the first amazing. one. I, well, unless you count, well, no, it was the Beatles because that was pre-Teen Center when we would see bands play there. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was the Rainbow Rockers, Iva. That's who the first live band I ever saw, that right? That might be my first. Yes. As well. They were they were a local band of Dutch Indonesian beautiful boys who actually rehearsed across the street from my house on Jameson Avenue. And we all the neighborhood girls all had crushes on them and had little uh, you know. My first smooch was from the guitar player of course. I was 13 and he was 18 and my mom flipped out when I told her I was making out with an 18 year old and she forbid me to see him again alone and I took out a butcher knife out of the kitchen 
And I lay down on the floor with it and pointed it at myself, screaming and crying that she would make that decision for me. <laughs> but we got to still continue to it's hilarious. see them. <laughs> it's hilarious. But we did get to see them. They played a lot. And so that was my first live band. You remember it real well, right? You know, you are, um, you are so... Even as a kid, you were so able to do things in a Pamela way. What does that can, mean? <laughs> can I tell my favorite story about you? It's the story that your Aunt Edna told me. Okay. okay. Margaret, your mom, Margaret, yes. was out in the yard tending her roses. And you were a very young girl. Your mom loved her roses, and she was really good at raising Yes, roses. she was. She taught me how to do it. And she was good at it. And she had these beautiful roses, and uh, you were very little. And you came out, and you were out in the yard. And you started eating the dirt around the roses. And I've heard stories before about people who, who ate dirt because there's something about the minerals in that dirt that, that attracts them. And your mother said, Honey, you can't eat dirt with your hands. And you turned around, you went back into the house, and you came out with a spoon. <laughs> really? A spoon. I wish I remembered that. Edna told me that. I can picture it, though. I, I can picture it. Because you are so inventive. To you, she was just saying, don't use your hands. <laughs> right. And so you I came back it was okay with a to utensil. Dirt, huh? Oh, I love it. Very clever. Okay, so that's my favorite childhood story about you. It's very um, sweet. Okay, so here we are in school, and, and you know, for me, I love Little Richard, and, and I started hearing all those blues singers real early on and just loved them. And, uh, but then all of a sudden came this other music. The pop idols. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were big fans of Bobby Rydell. In fact, all of the Bobbies, V, Darren, Rydell, we liked the Bobbies. <laughs> yes, we did. And we uh, really enjoyed, uh, we loved Dion. Well, yeah, Dion was, was a god to me. He still is. I went to see him play last year in Jersey. Whenever he plays, I still go. He still performs. He's amazing. He's Dion. Yes, he's, he's Dion, Dion. Mucci. He just turned 80. I remember taking, performing. A, taking the copy of Runaround Sue in the paper jacket with the picture of him laying, laying in, the in the grass. I took it into choir with me, and I laid it under the seat of the person in front of me so I could stare at Dion the whole time I was singing. Stare at Dion. Boy, was yeah. he handsome, man. Really handsome. Oh, my Lord, great, Lord, Lord. That was a great cover. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was my favorite song in the world for so long until the Beatles came along. And I think we should hear Run Around Sue right now. Let's hear Run Around Sue. Yeah. Here's my story. It's sad but true. It's about a girl that I once knew. She took my love, then ran around with every single guy in town. It's a story. It's sad but true. <laughs> <laughs> and Iva was obsessed with Bobby Rydell. Well, she doesn't like the word obsessed, but he was her favorite. Bobby Rydell was her so favorite. I loved him too. And we were we both really liked him. And um, 
he was real available. You could see him on TV a lot of the time. He was on American Bandstand a lot. He was on a lot of other shows, and he was really cute. All these guys came from, a lot of them from Philly, right? Him yes. and Frankie yeah. and Fabian. Yes. Yeah. I, we liked all of them, let's face it. But and yeah. he, he was a drummer, too, oh. um, Bobby Rydell. He started out as a drummer. Really? You know more about him than I do. Well, I should. Yeah, that was her favorite. Uh, he, was, he wasn't even singing initially, but then then he got into singing as well and had that terrific voice and a lot of successful songs. But there was this one day when we, you and I were listening to the radio and they played a Bobby Rydell song, and then they announced that Bobby Rydell had married Annette Funicello. And we really liked Annette Funicello, but for some reason it just tweaked us horribly. Well, he couldn't get married. Yeah, we, we, we couldn't get could, married on us. I guess somehow we thought one day one of us might have a, have a shot oh, at absolutely. it if he was single. That was the dream. So we went into my bedroom and cried. I just cried we and sobbed. cried until my mother came to the door and knocked and went, what? What is it? What's wrong? <laughs> What's happening here? I said, mother, you wouldn't understand. We just kept crying. But it turned out not to be true. But I, I still don't know quite how. I mean, and yeah, it was, was not true. Groovy. But, you know, didn't we all put black on or something and march around the neighborhood and yeah, wear we black? We were tormented. Yeah. We put black clothes on and walked around the neighborhood in, in mourning. I hope Bobby Rydell hears this and has a good laugh. Because <laughs> he's, he's still in the world and he's still yes, singing he and he's still yes. touring. He tours with Frankie Avalon and Fabian, and Fabian. A lot of the time. What are they called? The Golden Boys of yeah, Summer. Yeah, the Golden Boys. And they go out and do that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But but crying was a big part of that that period. For yeah, us. and then yeah. we finally we did have something really to be sad about when this boy in our school died so young. Yes, I had a crush on Dennis McCorkle. He was a bad boy. He had a greasy quiff. He was always in trouble, and he he and I had a really weird flirtation. We never spoke, but we had the same desk, um, different periods. And we sat in the same seat at different periods. And he had a nickname for me that he carved into my desk was no underwear. <laughs> now, why he I guess he was imagining me without underwear. I don't know. But, you know, he was he would give me this smirk, you know, but but we never spoke or anything. He was this I kind of idolized him because he had a quiff like Elvis. You know, it was. Well, he had a very James Dean quality. Yes, he did have a James Dean he quality. Did. It's true. And he was my hero, too, back then. Yeah. And so still is. When we heard that he had died, we were just... He got in a car accident. He stole a car with two other boys, two other 14-year-old boys, and they crashed and they all died. And Tragic. it was front page news, the green sheet. Yeah. That was our paper in the Valley at the yes. time. The Valley, Valley green, green sheet. sheet. <laughs> and it was, the front page was green. <laughs> but anyway, it, it tortured us. We all wore black to school. His girlfriend, Jackie McHenry, she wore a veil that oh God, day. she was such a tough girl. Yeah, she was a tough Hispanic girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me back then, the Hispanic people, the Latinos were really exotic. We only had a few of them. Very in few school. in Rosita yeah. and hardly yeah. any in school. And, yeah, three or four, the Castrita brothers. Dan Tapia. Yes, and ja Jackie McHenry. Yeah. Those are the only ones I remember. Yeah. But she wore black, and never all the girls surrounded her. She was surrounded with love that day that her, her boyfriend, you know, stole a car and died. And we went home from school, and because it's very, very important what you mourn to. Yes, it we is. We put on Jean Pitney's Town Without Pity, 
and laid in her bedroom and cried for hours. And just sobbed just and sobbed. So let's hear Town Without Pity. It's a great, Pitney. great vocal. tune yeah and he sings it so great yeah we loved all the pop idols we would come home from school and watch american bandstand every day and when dion was on it was a it was like a red letter day i could barely get through school couldn't wait to get home and watch him i have pictures from him i took off tv my dad's polaroid we Mm -hmm. my dad was so ahead of everything. I'm sure you remember. We had the first color TV in the neighborhood, the first Polaroid camera. He, he really loved being on top of all that and really proud of owning those items. And he always had Dev Cadillacs. O.C. Miller had Dev Cadillacs. They were never brand new, but they were caddies. <laughs> Wasn't, and your first car was a big car, too. They bought me for my Jessica. 16th birthday. That was the second car. I Jessica, Jessica was the second. Yeah. I wish I had the first car. It was a 59 Chevy Impala convertible, mm. my first car. Apparently, God, I used that's to drive an Impala convertible. A lot convertible. of money. They're worth a fortune now. <laughs> well, they were made of metal. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were they worth were. something. When you had a crash in a, in a car made of metal, the other guy got hurt. Yes. Yes, I know. I, Bobby Martini, my boyfriend at the time, I was driving him down Roscoe Boulevard, and we spun out in the rain and went round and round and round and wound up in a field. There was a field on Roscoe back then. <laughs> and uh, we were out in the middle of this field. We had to get uh, someone to come tow us out. But that Which was would involve walking car. somewhere to find a phone to make a oh, phone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, of course. Those were the days, no people. No such thing as a cell phone. <laughs> so... With our uh, great devotion to all things music Mm -hmm. and the fact that we had been exposed to the Rainbow Rockers, this just extraordinary, 13 years old, a great band. When we found out about the Teen Center, we directly went there. And this was just the greatest place at the corner of... Well, on Victory, Victory and Reseda. And, and it was it Reseda Boulevard? Yeah, it was it, yeah, right, close to Reseda. Right near. And this building, this sort of cinder block square building. And they had bands, live bands all the time. And you could be, you could, it was not, you didn't have to be 18 to get in or 21 or anything. There was no alcohol. So anybody could get in. Yep. And they had two big showrooms with stages. And the band would play in one room. And when they were done, the other band would crank up in the next room. So you were never out of music. It, someone was always playing. This place is where we met people of all races, yeah, all types, all attitudes. We met people we would never have met otherwise. And it was 
we embraced the whole thing. We could not wait to meet all these different people. I have a diary entry that was so dramatic. I talked about dancing with this nice fellow and slow dancing and his arm was around me and the music was playing. It was so beautiful. At the very end of the passage, I said, and he was black. Yes. It was a big deal. Yes, you liberated you know, chicken. There, there were well, there were no black people in our school. None. You until know, I mean, the very end, until the twelfth grade, as I recall it was twelfth grade, they brought in one black guy. Really? And we I all had to this. line up in school to welcome him. Wow. Yeah, we all lined up and stood there. And here came the guy through the front gate. He walked right through walked straight up to me and said, hi, Iva, because we knew each other from the teen center. <laughs> wow. Gee, I just don't remember that. And Iva a- always loved black guys. Oh, yeah. Always. Because I loved to dance. Yeah, that that's makes a lot of drew sense. Me to, to, yeah. Because I loved to dance. And I wasn't interested in having sex with anybody. And I wasn't trying to be anybody's girlfriend. I was just wanting to dance with people who knew how to dance. And uh-huh. I loved every minute of it. Yes, we it was always really loved fun for to me. Dance. And then later on in life, I definitely started having sex with them. But, <laughs> but at that point, I was just, bring me a man who can dance. And they were always older than me. And sometimes I had to sneak out of the house or meet people in alleys. But mm-hmm. I did it because it was really fun. And why not? If you're ever going to lie to anybody, that's the time to do it. I mean, lie to your parents and have more fun. Yep, I agree. That's the way I looked at it. I didn't have to lie. I was no, lucky you always that told way. your mother the truth, and she bit her nails down to I the cuticle. <laughs> I know she did. She was always worried about me because I just told her we were so close, and you know, she didn't want to lose our connection, so she just dealt with it. I mean, I got punished. I used to get grounded quite a bit, but but somehow we. I was able to tell her most things. I didn't talk about drugs with her. Oh, no. 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 My favorite moment of your honesty with your mother happened happened later on. But it's when we were seeing um, this musician from Coloring Book, Preacher. Preacher Pally. Mm-hmm. Where are you, Preacher? And, I lost him. And, uh, gosh, one night I was with his best friend who was also in the band. And yes. And we were with Preacher. And we were in side-by-side twin beds. Uh, with the lights out, um, but you went when we went home. You said to your mother, and I said, "Preacher, take off your pants." And your mother went, "Pamela." <laughs> See, I do not recall this. Pamela, you know how she would do. That. I know. Well, <laughs> I know. Well, well, Iva remembers these things. I can't believe I told my mother that to, to, to her face and in front of me to take off his pants. Yep. Well, I sure, I sure do remember Preacher, though. What a cute guy. He played in his band Coloring Book at Pandora's Box, the greatest rock club for kids because there was no age limit there either. Well, let's go back to the teen center for one minute. Okay. So we met all these people here, all these fantastic, incredible people, and ex- really expanded our interest in music, too, and got to learn a whole lot of other songs and see different bands. And yeah, a lot of soul bands, awesome. all kinds of music. Yeah, rhythm and blues and pop and everything. And then this band came along that completely altered our chromosomes, the Beatles. Well, yeah. This was around the same time frame we were going to the teen center. And then they actually started playing the Beatles there, and we could dance to them. Yeah. But, yes, we became obsessed Beatle maniacs, you know, just ridiculous, like so much of the world. Uh, all uh, these The radio station and, for the Valley would pay, play the I Want to Hold Your Hand once an hour. 
and they would announce it. 35 minutes till I want to hold yes. your hand. And we would go to our classes and sit forward in our chairs watching the clock, waiting, <laughs> waiting for the moment. And then we would meet up in the hallway and there was we had a transistor radio. Oh yeah. That we would put both of our heads to and listen next to the lockers and listen to I want to hold your hand every hour. Couldn't miss one. I would raise my hand and say, I have to go to the bathroom, but we would just go out and yeah, meet at the, the lockers hall. and listen to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every hour. <laughs> and we wrote you know, we each had Pamela. I think genuinely had her Beatle in Paul McCartney. Yes. But all the girls yes. were choosing their Beatles, and truthfully, I didn't have a particular Beatle I was interested in, except John Lennon. But he was married. Right. And so I just decided I would be all about George <laughs> because he was single. <laughs> so we started writing these long, long stories to each other, chapters and chapters of a Beatles story that she still has. Now it's called fan fiction mm-hmm. way before, way before anybody else's doing Where I would write about her life with Paul and she would write about my life with George. Yeah, we made up long, long tales yeah. of love. Yep. I remember one of them, she said that Paul laid me down on the candy striped sheets, the pink and white candy striped sheets. She's such a good writer. And always has been. And, you know, I, I looked forward to these, you know, every day or so she'd give me a few more pages. And I just couldn't wait. And I was actually living it. I remember by writing those. that your hair fell beauteously yes. over the pillow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, of course, we never did the deed. No, there was no... Never no, did the deed. You could make out, but there was no ultimate... Because then where does the story go? I mean, <laughs> you, had to, you had to keep it, you know, fresh and sexy without actually getting yeah. there. And we were virgins at yep. that time. Yeah, We course. both were. Yeah. I was till pretty late. Of course, Me too. we did other things with oh, yeah. fellows. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we did it together in the mm-hmm. same car, in the front seat, in the back seat. Mm-hmm. We would give each other interesting sounds to listen to <laughs> and i remember boys on the strip. i remember when my eyes were open when i was in the back seat and i looked up and i saw brian brian mclean from love mclean one of my lift true. his hand up and run his fingers along the, the inside top of the car Yes. And that was deposit some sperm on it. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> he did. And, and I enjoyed and it. I left it there forever. I know, I left it there forever. <laughs> I would look up and say, yeah, Brian. I have a little piece of Brian here. You did. Get some uh, Brian DNA on the, I was, the I was so in love with him. He didn't love me, though. I mean, in that way. You know, he, we were both so young. He was, we, he was the same age I was in this amazing band, Love, that is completely underrated. I just saw... Johnny Eccles play the other night with Love Revisited, and they're so good. I knew every single word to the songs. You know, no matter how long it's been since you've heard certain songs, they're well, in your love head isn't forever. underestimated by other musicians. No, but... Only by the public. Well, yeah, by the public, yeah. I mean, well, this, this kind of takes us into the next thing, when we started going to the Sunset Strip. Yep, yep. When we started, we, which is where we really became Hollywood hippies. And started going to Sunset Boulevard and hanging out on the street. And we had this particular lucky thing that happened where we would dance in front of the clubs and then the owners would let us in. Yeah, we didn't have to pay. We never paid. The managers would let us in because our dancing brought in other customers. Yeah, And, then and we, we became go-go dancers. We were go-go dancers at the Galaxy uh-huh. up on the back of the booths. 
mostly dancing to Iron Butterfly. Iron Butterfly, our favorite band for quite a while um, in the early strip days. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went up with them to San Francisco and our, our, my favorite, Daryl, the lead singer, he was on LSD and it was one of the craziest trips that was a nutty, ever. That was a nutty trip, Colin. It was a really we far out plane, trip. But we came oh, we back did? by, yeah, we flew up. Okay. Uh, we flew up to San Francisco and... Um, to see the Iron Butterfly. To see Iron Butterfly. Of course, it was not, not too far to see our favorite band. No, never. And then, but coming home, we drove back with their manager... Daryl, you and me in the front seat of a truck. Yep, yep. Oh, it was oh I do remember that. Uncomfortable. And Daryl had to get out of the car a lot and touch the ground. This yeah. was something he had to do. Yeah, he would periodically <laughs> announce, "I gotta get out. I gotta get out." <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't really a bum trip or no. anything, but he had to feel the earth. Yes. <laughs> Daryl was such a wonderful person. He passed on about we saw him just 15 a short time years ago. Died. 20 years probably, right? Mm -hmm. No, even more. I don't feel like it was that long. It was 20 years ago. Yeah, we went to his house and saw him. It was it was really touching. And uh, actually, Nick and I, my son and I, when he was about 10, went to visit Daryl in San Diego where he had moved and he was selling shoes. And um, he, he took us to to Tijuana and we had such a fun day he was such a sweet generous nut job he was great and um, I think we should play a song by him most definitely from the first album which features Daryl I was taught to ignore evil temptation Remarkable performer too. Yes. Watching him was One a of real the best. treat. One of the best I've ever but seen. But I also want to say, being a go-go dancer at the Galaxy had a lot of perks because we saw Steppenwolf, yeah. and Canned Heat, and every band that came along that wasn't playing the Whiskey that played the Galaxy. Yeah. We saw them all for free. That it was, was a almost lot of right next bands. door to the Whiskey. There was one club in between, a mm -hmm. jazz club called Sneaky Pete's, and the Galaxy was right next door and it was a small little club very dark club and this lady who ran it rose deach what a character <laughs> she oh was a freak god but you know we really loved being the go-go dancers there but then i became a waitress it didn't work out oh we were waitresses for i was a waitress Did for you? one night yeah same here one night yeah that was the one night we waitressed and we came out with nothing <laughs> and well my whole table walked out so so I, I was fired, actually, because yeah. my uh, big table of people walked out without paying. I just couldn't continue because I wasn't going to make one cent. I was just awful right. at it. And I didn't want <laughs> I to do I was terrible it. at it, too. We wanted to dance. We didn't yeah. want to wait tables. <laughs> and if we weren't doing that, then we would go down to the whiskey 
and dance in front of the whiskey. Yeah. And then we would get in there. Yep. And we saw a ton of bands there. Everybody. Too. Oh, my Lord. From Hendrix to The Who. Procol Harum, I remember particularly. That was a good show. They would play the Forum. And then what? the whiskey was such a cool place to be mm-hmm. that they'd come play the whiskey after playing the Forum. Zeppelin did that. Yeah. It was I saw the all best. these bands at this tiny little club. People can't imagine it now. No, it was people of can't its time, believe that's for sure. that you know you could see the Who, and we weren't just there at night. We were club. there in the daytime too. And in the daytime, we panhandled. Yes, we did. We would walk up and down Hollywood Boulevard and panhandle and see if we could get enough money to buy a meal or see a see movie. A movie. And one time we panhandled enough money to see uh, the Seventh Seal, Ingmar Bergman's <laughs> new film. Yeah, we were very educated panhandlers. <laughs> we, we went to see this brilliant film. Yeah, it was crazy. But we made enough money to go. And we had some, you know, people always wonder, well, did you feel safe? We did. Oh, yeah. There was no problem. I mean, I hitchhiked around. I don't know if you did much hitchhiking. I hitchhiked yeah. all the time. Okay, we, we hitchhiked a lot of places. And sometimes the guys were a little scary. And sometimes they would even jack off. But... But, you know, we just look out the window and pretend it wasn't happening till they took us to where we were going. Sometimes they took us to dinner. Yeah, sometimes they sometimes absolutely... Sometimes they pick you up and go, listen, I'm hungry. Do you want to have dinner? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'd go out for dinner. Or if you were walking on Hollywood Boulevard panhandling, we had we had a guy who said, I live right here on Franklin. Will you come and have lunch? We went over there. He made spaghetti and artichoke hearts and this... Feast. Yeah, I don't remember us. that either. You, you really got an amazing memory. You could really um, have a nice day in Hollywood as a as a cute hippie girl in short yes, clothes. You, <laughs> yes, you really could. And and you never, I never felt unsafe, even when people were doing weird things. Yeah. Sometimes I had to jump out of a car, but sure. it did not stop me from getting in the next car. That or some, us I up. actually had a man pull up beside me and say, uh, and offer me candy. And I said, you're the guy my mother told me about. You're the guy who offers girls candy. Oh, dear. I'd never seen that before. The first time I ever saw a penis, it was waving at me from a car. Really? Yeah, I was 13 years old. A guy pulled up next to me and was wagging his flaccid penis back and forth like that. And, uh, oh, and I looked in the car and I looked at it and he had a look on his face like, yeah, look oh, yeah. at that. Wow. Exciting. And I leaned into his window and said, go home to your wife. You did? At 13. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I was always, smart. I was always that way. Just don't even fuck with oh, me. Oh, she's, she's one tough here. cookie. Okay. Iva is one tough cookie. So I thought that I'm really was... glad she's on my side. I'll tell you that. I'm always on your side. <laughs> my first penis was Bobby Martini, of course, mm-hmm. that I saw. And, you know, he made it rough for, for me because... He used to call his penis the big Italian one. And boy, was he right. <laughs> you know, Bobby Martini just came to my birthday party. Was that incredible? I'm still so happily in touch with a lot of the people I've loved through the years. And Bobby Martini drove in from Vegas. My high school boyfriend just for my 71st birthday, all spiffed out. He looked great. He had on a suit. And a lot of people said, who is that guy? He looks like he came from the Sopranos. <laughs> and he does kind of look like that. Yeah. He has a very godfather look about yeah, and him. And he still has all his hair and yeah. everything. It was, And people were so thrilled to meet him because of 
and I'm with the band. I, of course, write about him quite a bit. And everyone seemed to know who he was, and they gave him so much attention. He was really loving it. It was very sweet. It was a good Hi, party. Bobby. Hi, Bobby. It was a very good party. So here we are in Hollywood uh, as hippies on Sunset Boulevard. And um, we met these very unusual, very fascinating people, Vito and Sue. Spelled S-Z-O-U, of course. And, yes, and V-I-T-O. Yes, And Vito. they had this wonderful, beautiful child named Godot. Yes. And we got involved with these people and their dance troupe and, uh, and went to their house, and we went all over the city together dancing at all kinds of locations and events. Yeah, parties, events. You know, the, God, the first time I saw Vito was at the Lenny Bruce eulogy. I saw him. I didn't know him. Rodney Bingenheimer took me to his 54th birthday. That's how old he was back yeah. then. His 54th birthday party. And then I think I brought you over there. You did? Yeah. I brought you over at, because... But very <laughs> early on. Yeah, very. Yeah, like the next time I went to Hollywood. And it's indescribable what the Vito house was like and what mm. Vito was like himself. He wore a, lo a loincloth a lot of the time. And he had glitter all over his chest and his beard he had an hair. amazing body for a 54-year-old Yeah, he was man. really thin and tight and in shape. And he was married to this lady, Sue, and they had a, this dazzling of people, that maniac people. That's how I met most of the GTOs, was at, at, at part, Vito's crazy apartment on Laurel Avenue above Sue's store. And she was so early with the vintage thing. Amazing. Way ahead. And she would make things out of vintage clothes, purses and things like that. And remember, do you remember Vito's mouse hole, man-sized mouse hole at the shop? He would hide in there. And when girls were shopping, he would literally reach his arm out and grab a hold of their ankle, pull them into this play, this hole, <laughs> you know. And, and a lot of them went for it. Hey, it was the 60s. A lot of them said, hey, why not? And then they would sleep with him. It was not a monogamous marriage. No, it was, no, it was It's not like he was cheating on Sue. No, no. It was monogamous. No, he eventually got thrown out of the country for having underage sex, really. And um, nowadays he would be rotting in jail. No, please but he, they sent him to out of the country for a while. And then he came back and moved to Cortati and continued the whole thing. Kept having kids with Sue and carried it all on. It's, he, There's no one like him in history. Someone needs to write a book about Vito. And below the store was his studio. And, yeah, and below the store was his studio. It was his an amazing piece of property. Art. Yeah. This guy amazing was Amazing artist and dancer. Mm -hmm. He taught dance lessons down there. But when we would go dancing with him, sometimes it got a little rough. He would throw <laughs> you around. Yeah. He'd grab a hold of you and hurl you across the floor. It made for, you know, dramatic effect. Well, and Carl, too. And his sidekick, Carl Franzoni. Captain Fuck. Captain Fuck. He used to wear a cape with a big F on it. And he, everyone knew he was Captain Fuck. And he had the longest tongue, longer than Gene Simmons. And he would stick it out at everybody and always try to... He was kind of unattractive, God bless him. And, and you know, he didn't get many girls, but boy, did he try. I remember one <laughs> one afternoon coming to visit him and he was standing in, in his cowboy boots, naked except for his cowboy boots. And in his pubic hair, he had those pink clap-on <laughs> rollers. <laughs> yeah, 
No one would believe the shit that went on in the 60s. And and it was totally acceptable. I said, oh, hi, Carl. <laughs> okay, so, um, so, you know, we were always with, whenever we were with Vito and Sue, Godot was always there. This little cherub boy who was like all of our child that we just loved him. It was always fun to have him around. And one day, photographs were being taken of um, the family, of Vito, of Sue, of Godot, and they were up on the roof to have their picture taken. And somehow, Godot, like children will do, ran and fell through a skylight yeah. and died. It was so traumatic for all of us. It was uh, the worst. And we got to the house that night. We knew nothing about it. We got to the house and we walked in and I said to Pamela, something's wrong mm-hmm. because there was no music. Yeah. And there was always was music. quiet. So we, you came in through the level of the store and then you climbed up to the These residence. wild stairs. Oh, my yeah, Lord. With, with all kinds of all kinds fabrics of things. and doll parts and postcards. <laughs> Tacked to the walls. <laughs> pieces of lace and oh, old and pornographic photos. And basically it was awake in, yeah. their, in their living room. And Vito was sobbing. And um, now Sue was pregnant then, wasn't she? I don't, well, I don't think she was showing it, but yeah. Okay, but she, she was yeah, pregnant, she was I believe, pregnant that, that time. Groovy nipple is what they named the daughter. Yeah, because I remember her pointing to her stomach and saying that she, you know, mm. she was uh. having another baby. But yeah. Vito was heartbroken, and then we went to a party. We went to a party and danced. And danced. Because there was nothing on earth that was going to keep these people from dancing. I thought that was extraordinary. And that's the way they dealt with their grief anyway. Mm-hmm. Boy, did he dance hard that night. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I can still see that. Yeah, and a lot of people said, "How could they go mm-hmm. out?" They gave. But dancing doesn't mean you don't care. Yeah, exactly. It just means that there are lots of societies where even where people are sad, but they dance. Yes, and it. Yeah. it I think it's significant. I think it was their tribute to Godot. I do too. Yes, I do too. It was a sad night, though. It was a rough night. And we were at the Cheetah together one night, weren't we? Yes. And who, who, who were we seeing? The Chambers Brothers? They played there all the time. Well, no, we saw um, Monty Rock the Third at the oh, Cheetah. Yeah. Okay. And we played with Family of Man. We danced with Family of Man at yeah. the Cheetah. Uh-huh. And just about anywhere anybody was playing at that point, we could go and get in and dance. <laughs> uh, but I want to say about uh, being with Vito. Okay. And being on the strip at that point, things were... things started to change and everywhere you went the police harassed you you'd be walking down the street and if you looked anything like a hippie they would stop and card you after the riots yes yeah well no and before the riot even the right yes because the riot was one of the reactions to the constant harassment you we would go one night i remember going with vito and the whole family mm-hmm. and we went out for ice cream we went to will wright's Right. The best. The best ice cream ever. The best. And as we came out, this entire group of officers was waiting for us and had to have everybody's ID. And we're standing there with ice cream cones, really dangerous people. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were a big threat. Oh, and, well. uh, and Godot was there. Godot was their little son. He was two and a half, three years old, and he danced on tabletops. He was the most beautiful and baby. And when we took saw. him everywhere with yeah. us. And yeah. But you you were constantly being bothered. My friend Jack, who who had long hair and uh, a, a hippie jacket, was constantly being bothered by the police. You couldn't go anywhere. And then when they decided they were going to tear down Pandora's, which was one of our meeting places, right? Uh, then 
that's when things really got rough. And it got that's pretty when, bad. Yeah, yeah, that's when well, they, they gave us a curfew. For, we had to be off the street at 11. There were thousands of people from Crescent Heights to Doheny just walking back and forth, yeah. back and forth, passing joints around, incense sticks and flowers and, you know. And drugs. It, it was, yeah, and drugs. It was a real thing, though. I mean, it was a real loving hippie scene. The only time you peaceful. ever saw a hassle was when the police showed yeah, up and started totally hassling people. Otherwise, yeah. And then there'd be some sort of big problem if somebody resisted and the police felt compelled to be rough with them. And uh, the night of the Pandora's uh, event, Pamela and I were there. And Sonny and Cher were there. Sonny and Cher. And Frank Zappa Frank was and there. Gail. Yeah. And I remember seeing Frank in his flowered bell-bottoms and just... I mean, oh, you, just, your mouth was just dropped. Uh, and you touched him. You I reached out. I was standing next to you. As he walked by, you reached out and touched his hair and turned to me and said, It's soft. <laughs> it's soft. I did. Yeah. I guess I was pretty bold. Yeah. Well, like, duh. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, I know I did stuff like that. One night at the Cheetah, I actually did that again. I reached out to touch his hair. I didn't know them yet. And he grabbed a hold of me, and we rolled around on the floor for a while, that dirty floor. Yeah. And I, I was just absolutely enthralled and entranced that I had been rolling around with Frank Zappa. We spent a lot of time rolling on that floor. Yes. Because if you went with, with Vito and, mm-hmm. uh, and Carl, at some point you were going to want to get on the floor so they couldn't get up under your skirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because all the skirts were this short. Yep. And yeah. they would... Uh, definitely use their little hands on you but the the one that, that freaked me out the most was when he would hurl you across the floor yeah, it was frightening because some it hurt sometimes so eventually we just steered clear yeah we steered clear of veto it was fun for a while but then we that's when the laurel canyon ballet company sort of formed pre-gto's well, let's talk group. about pandora's okay because that was an amazing night you and i went early and we had our Ouija board with us. And we had lost the planchette. That's what it's called, right? Yes, yes. We had lost the planchette, so we didn't have that to use on the board. So we used the 45 of Runaround Sue. Gosh, I can't believe I would yeah. wreck it we that way. We pushed that all, all <laughs> went all around mm-hmm. on the board. Sure. In the, it had a circle in it. It had so the perfect. It was, yes, it was just the it perfect was better circle. than a planchette. I think from that time on, we used the records. Yes, we did. Yeah. And then in the evening, a whole lot of... It had been announced. There were flyers all over the yeah, place. Yeah, And hundreds, hundreds of people yeah. showed up for the protest. For because the protest. Pandora's Box was in the middle of the street. Really quirky, interesting spot in the middle of... Between On a Crescent little Heights. island. Yeah, all by itself. Yeah. Uh, at Crescent Heights and Sunset. And I went to that place real early on when I was like 15 years old with a fake ID with, with some of my friends from Cinnamon Cinder who went and danced to a more of a uh, an R&B band. Mm-hmm. And so I had been going there for a long time, and now it was a hippie hangout. There are always hippies in there. Yeah. And they were going to tear it down. And we weren't too happy with what some people thought was progress. And if you go by that corner now, it just looks like any other oh, corner. Any it, it was for all. the turn signal. It was for the three-way turn signal, yeah. which is still there. 
And so, but I think it was more than that. They <clears throat> they didn't like all the hippies. They they well, thought that was, was our main hangout, and they didn't want it there but anymore. But there was that fact of people wanting to improve that corner. Yeah, they yes. thought it was an improvement. Yes. But they also thought so many hippies wouldn't hang around on the street if you yeah. got rid of that thing. Yes, and of course that didn't. We, we that kept didn't work. yeah, we kept hanging out. But it was a <laughs> gigantic. They call it a riot, but really I don't know. It was, it was. I turned my head to the right, standing in front of Pandora's, and marching in formation yep. up Crescent Heights were, what, 60, 100 police, yeah, 50 yeah, police? with their batons. With their batons out. At the ready. And they just waded into the crowd and started hitting people. Yeah. It was none of that stuff of, break it up. No, it wasn't no. anything like that. They were just on us. Well, we were sitting cross-legged in the street. We had backed up traffic. All directions, all four directions, and that's what a protest is for. Yes, it is, and we, everyone had waving signs, and you know, all kinds of protest signs about closing our club and everything. And there was a whole bunch of really cute boys I never forget because Andre was one of them, mm -hmm. one of the many boys that I bestowed favors on. Um, he was up on top of the bus with the several other boys, making it rock a big, huge, you know, city bus, municipal bus. rock. Back and forth, back and forth, back, and they tipped it over. It was empty. No one wanted to hurt anyone. No one was in it. But they tipped the thing over. So that was part of the riot. I mean, it was sort of a riot. It's sort of a riot. Yeah. But we didn't go there to riot. No, no, we didn't go we went there. We went there to protest. Protest. Protest, absolutely. Yeah. But it did get wild. And I remember we, we ran. We just ran across the uh, a field, I remember running, and seeing... As we were running, the police beating people. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get hit. Yeah. We didn't get hit, we and escaped. we didn't get caught. And then we all converged at at uh, Vito's house. Vito's, yeah, we went to Vito's. And sat up there. And in fact, wasn't his bus idling and waiting for it? Didn't we crawl in, climb into his bus? I don't remember that. Yeah, I thought we. He had a big blue bus, and all kinds of crazy things went on in there. VW bus. God, Vito. Yeah, a lot of stuff went on then that if it went on now, oh yeah, it, we'd be Everyone me, would we'd be, be me tooing left and right. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. But in the in the hippie days, it was a whole different mentality. It sure was. I didn't want to be thrown around, and I didn't want to be harassed, and I didn't want to be assaulted for sure. None of us wanted that, and I didn't. It was only one time that I was actually assaulted, uh, but the rest of the time, it wasn't like that for me. Well, I was lucky, too. I mean, I was seriously lucky. All the, the stuff I got up to, I was never assaulted. Mm -hmm. I, well, no, that's not true. I was hitchhiking one night from the Troubadour, and I was seeing some form of the birds. And uh, I had been to the, to the uh, beach that day, and I was having a—I was woozy. I was starting to get a little sun, sun nightmare. And— I went out to hitchhike, and the guy picked me up, someone I probably usually wouldn't have gotten in the car with, but I was very out of it. And he said, where are you going, baby? We're driving along Santa Monica Boulevard. And I said, oh, I'm just just to Alfred Street. You can turn right up there. And he said, I know where you're going. I'm going to take you on a trip. And he, oh, first he asked me for if, if I wanted acid. And I said, no, no, thank you. And he said, I'm going to take you on a trip. Turned the corner and started trying to do stuff to me and he pulled me I was trying to get out and he was pulling on my hair to where he pulled a huge chunk of it out so that's an assault right damn right <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, luckily I avoided anything worse because I screamed so loud. You don't know how loud you can scream until oh, you have to. It's true. Right? And I out. screamed so loud that all the lights started going on around the apartment. So he threw me out of the car. Mm-hmm. But the, this big chunk of hair fell into my hand and I stuck it in my diary. It's still there. Wow. <laughs> so that's the only time I ever had that terrible of an experience. So... I want to go a little bit sideways here and go back to Vito. While we were all the time with Vito and running around seeing bands and everything, one of the bands we saw constantly was Love. We were really fortunate to see them frequently. So many times. Um, Sue Vito had a uh, an art exhibit and Love played the exhibit. And every, I mean, we were, I used to make a joke that I woke up in the morning and Love was under my bed. I mean, that's how frequently we saw them. Yes, we so, did. what a great band. We were so lucky to see them all the time and, and hear that amazing music. They were the first mixed mixed race band, too. And it wasn't anything that I really took note of, mm-hmm. but it, except in retrospect that, wow, they were really brave to do that. There were two black guys and three white guys mm-hmm. in the band. And they got into it. They couldn't travel because of it. They couldn't stay in hotels, places. So they hardly traveled. And I think that was one of the reasons they didn't get bigger than they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time I heard Love, we were in uh, the school gym. It was a rainy day in Reseda. <laughs> Nothing like a rainy night in Georgia. And we were allowed to play records on rainy days at Cleveland High. Yeah. Wow. And Her so memory, somebody, uh, Esther... And Marlene <laughs> brought in a 45 record and put it on, and it was Little Red Book. Yeah, a Little and Red I Book. And I remember thinking, this is different. This is something I should know about. Really, right there in the gym, I was like, I need to know about this. What is this band? Mm-hmm. Why haven't I heard this band? And then when we went to Hollywood, we saw Love all the time. Yeah. But that was the first time I ever heard it. So let's yes, play Little let's Red Book. Let's play my Little Red Book. Amazing to think Bert Backrack wrote this. Well, they changed it quite a bit. They sure did. We should say one thing here about Pandora's. Something wonderful that would happen is when when stuff would happen in our lives, sometimes there'd be a song written about it, and that's for what it's worth. Buffalo Springfield, that amazing song about what happened at the Pandora's Riots, yeah. Yeah, so let's hear for what it's worth. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I got to. Where I think it's time we stop, children. 
And, you know, Stephen Stills was not there, and neither was Neil Young or any of Buffalo Springfield. But apparently, this is what I've heard, Stephen Stills, they were trying to get there mm-hmm. and because they wanted to participate, but they could not park. They couldn't get anywhere near it. No. So they did write that song about it, but they, they, they weren't actually there. <laughs> we were kind of lucky to go so early in the day so that yeah. we were there for everything. Yeah, a lot of times we went during the day, spent hours and hours and hours in Hollywood. Panhandling and then eating some food and then hanging around and then seeing people sometimes. Getting some ice cream. Yeah. It was Going it was to see Vito. It was a day well spent, I'll tell you. <laughs> Being a Hollywood hippie was a great thing. So uh, I guess we have to touch on a topic that's something that's come up again in our lives, and that's how Charles Manson's changed Hollywood. Yeah, he did that, and Altamont. Mm-hmm. The, the combo the, was a pretty rough combo that, you know, it made you start thinking, wow, is this really what it's all cracked up to be? Have we been doing the right thing? And blah, blah, blah. I suppose. Am I as really as safe as I feel? Yes, that. Do I especially. need to be more careful about my person and not put myself in situations where I can be harmed? One one thing I really want to say is that I never saw Charles Manson as a hippie. No I didn't either. Hippie. He was a fraud. Yeah, absolutely. He was an absolute fraudulent the, hippie. That's right. Yeah, taking the, advantage of the situation. The same way he wasn't a god or a guru or anybody's guide in life. He also wasn't a hippie because hippies didn't want to kill people. We were constantly protesting to end a war, to stop police harassment, to make people more safe. He was the antithesis of a hippie, really. He was. And we believed that we could improve the world through love. We really did. uh, If you think it's naive, then think it. But I still think the world would improve if people loved each other more. Of course it would. And that really was our goal. Mm-hmm. I remember at Altamont, I thought it was a good, good thing. Although Mercy did warn them not to do it with her tarot cards. But I thought it was a good thing. They were doing a free show for people. And halfway through the event, I had to leave. It was such bad vibes. Mm-hmm. I got beer thrown on me and I had a really pretty outfit on. <laughs> so I left. So I, I, the feeling was changing, you know. The feeling definitely was changing in the air. And it was hard for us because we was we would we loved being Hollywood hippies and being open to people and and, and free. You know, it was a, a sense of freedom yeah. that that kind of disappeared after. You'd go those to a love in events. and everybody would be kind yes, to each other. Love it. We went to the first L.A. love in. We baked cupcakes and took them. And we didn't get too far with those cupcakes because everybody was hungry. <laughs> yeah, but hippies <laughs> were always hungry. <laughs> That's true. A lot of them had <laughs> left home, you know, and were hanging around, you know, in communal situations. And, yeah, they loved our cupcakes. <laughs> and the bands played free oh. at the love-ins. Yes. The birds, the doors, everyone you can think of locally loved. They played the love-ins for free. Yeah, it's, it, it was nonstop music, a lot of fun. Kept hoping it would continue, you know, yes. go on and on and on. But, yeah. Yeah. But then you started having to think about, am I safe? Am I in a good place? You have to kind of be more aware of yourself. And now people are. I mean, if you look at the situation today, you do wonder 
when you go somewhere, if you're going to be shot. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. Definitely has. I remember, of course, when the Kennedys died, where we were. Yes. Where, you know, how, you know, what a devastating thing that was. And I was stumping for Bobby, you know, and it was just a horrible thing that happened. And I remember it's just, my teacher. It's gone downhill from there in a lot of ways. It really, definitely. I remember my teacher came into the room at school. Uh, one of the hall monitors came and gave her a note. She read the note. And then she said to us that President Kennedy had been shot and he was dead. And um, she said, these things happen. Oh, what teacher That's what was she that? said to us. These things happen. And I thought, in what world? This, <laughs> these things don't happen. This no. doesn't just happen. Well, I guess she was in shock or yeah. something. God, yeah. Yeah. She may not have said he was dead, but she said he'd been shot. He'd been and shot. then school let out. Yes. And, and then, we all went home. Yeah. My mother was sitting on the sofa sobbing. Yep, mine too. Yeah. Our mothers knew each other. Yeah. That was really fun, especially at the end of my mother's life when she talked about the good times she had with your mom. Oh. She would go over there with her cigarettes and they would sit yes. and smoke for hours. Yes. And, just, and yeah. gap, yep. which is great. And they went to lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. We all went to lunch mm-hmm. once, all dressed up. Yeah, it was the B6 mother daughter tea. Yes. Oh my and we gosh. all dressed up, and my mom and I, I walked rem- to I your house. I remember what my mom had on and everything. Yeah, we walked to your house. Picked up you and your mom, and then walked up to uh, up to what Northridge, and went to the B six B six. Now what is that? We were twelve. Yeah, something. really. Yeah, young. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, so great to have someone in your life as long as we've. It is great. Had each other, isn't it? Yeah, such a great touchstone. We're really fortunate, and she's always there for me, which is so great. Ditto, honey. So, I guess the last thing I really want to just say that. No matter how difficult it might be, how much panhandling and hitchhiking we did, no matter how challenging, it was so great to be a hippie. It was, it was the greatest thing to it be It was. Because you were constantly meeting wonderful people, hearing great music, yeah. and feeling optimistic about their future. Even as, yes. pro- even as we so protested. So much optimism, yeah. Um, you know, we were going to make a change. Yes. We were going to really change things up. And it was... I felt like it was a revolution going on. It, it was. And it was in a lot of ways. Spiritual revolution, musical revolution, obviously. Sexual revolution, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, we were taking the birth control pill all of a sudden. That's right. You know, and really proud of it. So we did our bit. <laughs> we tried. I, I can't even count the, couldn't imagine the number of protests I went to. Protested war. Mm-hmm. Protested yeah. for equal rights. Yep. Protested for... Um, for human rights, protesting to keep Pandora's open, protesting for everything that came along that we were that we just thought was wrong, and those were some big protests. Yeah, they were, and we Sit-ins. gave the cops flowers. I remember doing that, mm-hmm. just handing them a daisy as, as they stood there, real stern. <laughs> yeah, it was a war. We were very optimistic. A about, love war. Real optimistic about how things could improve and I think it's hard you know we're in our 70s now early Early, very early early (laughs) but looking at the world and seeing that the same battles we fought yeah so early on well they've come to be fought again they've come back you know you think you get to a place finally after all the protests and all the dreaming and hoping and wishing and pushing forward and then it goes downhill again and it's it's scary to think 
you know, a lot of people blame Trump, but yeah, it's it's the people who voted for Trump. Right. Well, they want to change. I I get that they want to change. I don't think a lot of people had any idea what was coming. Well, it's an illegitimate presidency. The guy won by cheating. And now we know with the most current news that he's attempting to win by cheating again, by by inviting a foreign government to investigate American citizens in order to cause problems for Joe Biden. Again, this guy cannot win in a fair fight. The loser cannot win in a fair fight. So, yes, he got elected, but there's the whole Russian thing, and there's the fact that she got the po- that uh, Hillary Clinton got the popular vote and all of that. Yeah. But here we are, protesting yeah. for equal rights again. For equal because rights. Because for some and, reason, oh we have a president God. who believes it's acceptable to kidnap brown babies at the border, to kidnap any people with brown skin at the border and put them in cages, and that's okay with him. That's terrorism, and that's okay with this president. But for us, looking at that in our wildest no. dreams. We're talking 50 years ago that, that these things we, you know, were pushing through changes made, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. It's really like. So it's hard to being see. Being haunted. Yeah. It's hard to see. But we keep the good thought. Yes, we do. And we, and we vote and we for the better dance. candidates. <laughs> and we dance and we hear music and, yeah. we, and the other, we take care of ourselves. So, you know, we're still alive. Here we are, Iva. Yeah, and we figure there's always hope while we're still alive. Yeah, and we met now 60 years ago. 60? 62. Mm-hmm. 62. 62 years ago. Yeah. Pretty awesome. It is remarkable. So uh, let's talk about The Doors. All right. Very early L.A. band. We saw them play many times before the album even came out, before the first album came out. Yeah, they were all over the place. We were really lucky to see them so early on. Of course, we were <laughs> mesmerized. I know. What an uh, incredible lead singer, eh? Yeah. Stunning, <laughs> stunning. But the music was different. Yes, it was. The music yeah. had, had an aspect of, like, flight to it, freedom. This soaring kind of... Um, it was that organ, organ wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. That uh, was just so different. Ray Manzer. And they were a lot of fun to watch. And one day... It was amazing how you could meet people in the city because it, everything was so free. And one way, day we went to visit a friend, Sandy, right? Sandy, yep. She lived right above the Canyon store in Laurel Canyon. Yeah, if you're at the Canyon store and you're looking at the Canyon store, just look past it to the big, long staircase behind it up the hill. It's still there. It looks exactly the same. <laughs> and we went over there to visit, and we had music on, and we were snorting this drug... Uh, that we had no business snorting. Not healthy for us, but nonetheless. It was a liquid. Mm-hmm. That we called Trimar. That wasn't really the name of it. It was Trimar Ethelethyl. Yeah, much our, longer our, name. Our friend Jerry, the bass player in the Iron Butterfly, uh, got stoned on it there. He was a janitor there. And he broke a bottle of this stuff. And when he was mopping it up, he got high as a kite. So he started smuggling it out of the hospital and selling it on the strip. Mm-hmm. For we never $10 a vial. We didn't have to pay for it. He no. gave it to us. Quart jars. Yeah, so we walked around on the street <laughs> with a jar of this stuff and a hanky. Yeah, we and sniffed it And you would dump the hanky. fluid into your hanky, and you would put it up like this, and you would huff it. Basically, you would huff it. It was huffing. <laughs> so bad for this our stuff. baby lungs. Oh, my really, God. Really, really bad. But a high like no other. Yeah, like no other, like no other. It's more angel dusty. Uh, Popper, kind of like, it's hard to describe what it was like. There's nothing really like it, but boy, did you get high. 
<laughs> and it was the only stuff we ever took that gave us flashbacks. Yes. You'd be walking down the street yes. later on, and all of a sudden, uh, you'd you were on Trimar. Yeah, you'd be a little gone. And you could fall asleep on Trimar and wake up still stoned. <laughs> so we thought this was a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now it sounds horrifying, but uh, we thought that was pretty good. So we were up there doing that, and then we started to hear The Doors' first album played. And it wasn't out yet. It wasn't out. Nobody had it. And so my friend here decided to investigate. Well, I was really um, stoned. And so I, I, I went down these long stairs to see who might have this record. I said, who in the very cool person has the new Doors record? And I peeked in this Dutch door, and there was Jim Morrison singing along to his own record, just wearing his black leather pants and no shirt or anything. And I about lost my mind. And I went running back upstairs, though. I was, I just couldn't, I was too overwhelmed to say anything. And then Iva, Sandy, I forget who it was, one of the other GTOs was there. No, Christine, it was just, right? mm-mm, it's just you, me, and Sandy. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, they encouraged me to go back down and say hello like a neighbor, right? So I was high enough to do it. And I had just learned how to do a back bend. So I'm going to show the Lizard King my back bend. So I walked into the house and proceeded to do a backbend on his rug. I just walked in. That's how high I was. And he just stood there going, get it on. He was, <laughs> get it on. Suck my mama. Those are the words he used to use quite often. And right at that time, Pam came in, his girlfriend, and told me, and I was in the backbend when she walked in. And she looked down on me and said, get the fuck out of my house. Of course, I got up out of the back bend, ran back up there, and a few minutes later, I heard. No, a few minutes later, we hear step. You know, people, somebody coming up the steps, and there's Jim at the door, and he came in and got high with us and made out with all of us and rolled around. Mm-hmm. With us. Rolled around on the rolled floor, around, made and out with all of us, and we got to you know put our wet hankies up to his face so he could inhale. He, some he wanted. He was really into that. Oh, he was loving it. He loved the trimar. And a while after that. I could hear this smashing, smashing of something on the stairs and screaming from downstairs, screaming. And when he came upstairs, she was screaming, she don't was you screaming, go up don't there. Don't you go up don't there. Don't you go up there. And she was making, there was these crashing sounds and stuff. But not until a little bit later. I thought she was throwing them at his head. No, I think she was throwing them to punish him. Oh, I thought so it was right he when he was walking up the stairs. We heard her screaming. Then he comes in and we hang out for a while. And then this, this smashing begins and she's screaming her head off. And we didn't know until later when we walked downstairs that she had taken the original copies of the Doors album and smashed them all over the, the demos. staircase. Yeah, the demos. the demos all over the staircase. We had to step over Pieces them, cracked everywhere. all over the, the stairs. And that's the next day when he had invited me to see him play the Hullabaloo. And I met him there in the afternoon at the sound check. And we also saw the Doors play at another, at a real interesting spot, Cleveland High School. Yeah. And this was after Our we high had school. graduated and we were gone. The and following the, summer, right? Yeah. And then we heard that the Doors were playing Cleveland, which just seemed impossible. <laughs> and this was before we met Jim. Um, and we went to Cleveland in all our hippie regalia and sat and, sat and waited for them. And, you know, there was nobody else in that room like us that day. And they came out and played, and the, everyone was very 
respectful and watching. And Pamela and I were rolling, freaking, screaming, <laughs> carrying on. <laughs> yes. And we had brought flowers for them. And then we met them behind the auditorium afterwards and gave them these flowers. And when we when we met Jim up in uh, the apartment and did Trimar with him, I, I said to him, we went to Cleveland to see you. And he said, you know, I remember you. Well, we were pretty I'm memorable in that, in that scene. Yeah, I am not surprised. Oh, so let's play a Doors record. Let's play L.A. Woman. Because that's what we are. That's what we are. Yes. I didn't have a chance to mention to you, and I really want to, that I'm a plaster caster. Uh, and I don't remember exactly the year. I know we made our, I believe we made the cast in 69. Uh, but um, Pamela was friends with Cynthia Plastercaster, and through Pamela, I met her uh, over the phone. And the first thing Cynthia said to me is, I've heard all about you. And then she came to Los Angeles. She came to California as part of Frank Zappa's very generous uh, supporting of all kinds of interesting people. Yes, Frank. I mean, let's put it that way. Yes, Frank wanted to support her and, and help her get famous, and she he thought her art was very important. So he, he brought her here for a while. She stayed here for a couple of years. Yes. And that's when Iva met her. Yeah. Not not her her happiest couple of years. No. She was really she not a California like LA. girl. She <laughs> loves her Chicago. She's devoted to her Chicago, and I, and I understand that. But she came. And we met, and we had a long conversation about what bands and groups and musicians we were really fond of. And one of the people we both really, really liked was a singer, Anthony Newley. He was incredibly famous at that time, really successful. He had written Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, and Roar the Grease Paint, Smell of the Crowd. He was constantly performing all over the place. I had seen him perform in Los Angeles, and I was mad about him because I grew up listening to show tunes because I was a tap dancer so I just thought he was the greatest thing ever and, and he was a Tony winner and you know he seemed way out of our reach but I said if you ever get the opportunity to cast Anthony Newley I'd like to do that with you and we went ha 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 yeah, like that'll happen and sometime not too long after I knew I met her she called me up and said guess who's coming over and I went no not possible, but I went straight over there, and there was Anthony Newley laying on her bed, face down, because she had a headboard, a headboard behind her bed that, had, that was a series of squares, and that she had the casts all sitting inside the little cubicles. 
and he was on his on his back, ass up. I'm telling you, it was something to see. <laughs> oh boy! And there he was. So we went and sat sat out in the living room, and uh, he was just so adorable and friendly and charming and uh, gentle. And he was playing with my hair, and he was just so delightful. And she was starting to put the, the alginates together to make a cast. It's dental alginates, kind of like when you go to the dentist and they make a cast of your teeth. And so she's in the kitchen make, doing alginates, and I just took him straight into her bedroom. I just couldn't wait to get my hands on him. <laughs> Truthfully, I was just out of my mind with joy to see him. <laughs> and um, then it's at when he's fully erect, because that's what the other person does. It did a good job of it. Uh, she's called she, it plating. Yes. Plating is plating, what they because it in it's, Because it's Cockney slang. Yeah. Fellating, plating. Yes. <laughs> uh, so then she starts counting down. You can hear her counting 10, 9, 8. And you want to make sure he's as hard and, as he can possibly get by the time she gets to one. Then she comes flying through the door with this this cylinder that kind of looks like what you get a, a milkshake in at Bob's Big Boy. <laughs> And she comes flying in with the cylinder, and his dick goes into it, and he was going, it's cold. I think probably everybody says it's cold, but it was a really exciting experience for me. And then I got to um, spend some time with him afterwards. That was very nice. It was, a, it was a great thing. And how many humans on the face of the earth have made a cast with Cynthia? Not too no, many. No, you're a really a rare bird. Not too many. <laughs> and we tried to do another, we wanted to do a second one. And this was going to be the drummer in The Rascals, because she had already cast the singer. And so I went with her to uh, the forum, and I was carrying the casting kit. And as we were walking in, she was saying, oh, wait, till he, wait till this singer, Felix. not Felix, no. Felix was the other singer. It'll come to me. He's going to love you. He's going to be crazy about you. You look just the way he likes people. And, blah, blah. and I'm like, I'm not interested. I just want to cast the drummer. Who looked like Paul McCartney? Do you remember Yes, he him? did. Dino somebody. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we went and went to the forum. And that casting kit parts waves. You just get right through a crowd with that casting kit. And then we got ushered in. And right, I think, like the front first row or second row in the front of the forum. And the opening act for the Rascals... Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, boy. Sly and the Family Stone opening for the, the Rascals. The Rascals, jeez. And so they came out, and I sat there just dumbstruck. You know, I, I was just beside myself. And I said to Cynthia, could we go to their hotel? <laughs> yeah, She was like, sure. no, she was very determined to, <laughs> to get this drummer. So afterwards, we went over there uh, to, to do that cast, but it, she had a girlfriend. Who said no? Oh, no and no. Mm. So the second cast never happened, but it was a worthwhile endeavor just to see Sly play. Oh my! For God. sure, that was totally great. Cynthia is a remarkable person. She is a true artist. She's devoted. I love her sense to of her humor. art. Yeah, she's so funny, and so so down to earth in a way that you don't expect, and always has been like that. But. That's her art, and I think if you if you can appreciate any nude art at all, you can't be staring up at the statue of David and not appreciate what Cynthia's doing. She's really something. I just love her. We Me love you, too. Cynthia. We love you, honey. So what's up now, honey? 
Well, I, I just edited a friend's book, and I edited one of your books. Yes, so you definitely I really helped me there. Doing, doing book editing. If people have books they want edited, I'd be delighted. And I'm working on a potential podcast. I'm writing this stuff for it now. Cool. And, and um, working on my own books and, and hoping to um, publish some of that. I've been writing since I was a child, so there's a lot. Yes, I know. You've got three books. I do. Yeah. Actually, five. Five? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm behind the curve. Three three novels, a memoir, and uh, just a... I don't know what the fifth thing is, but it's something. It's in, in the It's works. a dating thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's the dating... Yes, it's... No, your... the memoir is the dating memoir. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, just trying to stay healthy. Yeah, I know. It's, it takes a lot now. Now that we're in a certain age, we have to really focus on it. I know I don't work out enough, and I really need to get back into it. I think people expect a certain kind of energy from you, and it's harder to show up with it than it used to be. Yeah. But we both work at it. Yes, we do. And I'm not, not going to give up. We don't give up. Mm-mm. If you're going to be alive, you want to be as healthy as you can be. And feel good. Yeah, and feel good. Yeah. And I think we both have a... A tremendous appreciation for what we, when we were born and what we lived through as a yes. result. Wow, how fortunate were we yep. to have met, to be hippies together, to mm. be this age and still be so similar in many ways, and to love each other for 62 years. I mean, who gets that? It's really amazing. It's very rare, and I'm very thrilled with it. So I'm, I'm enormously proud of you. Of all that you've accomplished. Thank you, Iva. And of that, of your ability to take a licking and keep on ticking. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've gotten a lot of lickings in my time. Plenty of licking. Some good ones and some not so good. Plenty of licking. <laughs> and a lot of ticking. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's commendable that we haven't just folded. Yep. Well, that's not going to happen. Although there are days when you sure do want to. So I'm looking, I mean, we have no idea what the future is going to bring. Many of the people that we have loved so dearly aren't in the world anymore. Yeah, I and know. I miss so many people. Yeah. And we're still here somehow. So God bless you, Pamela. And you too. Mwah! Mwah! How about Iva was a plaster caster? I bet you didn't know that. Pretty cool. Iva is also a writer, editor, and a poet, and a plaster caster. And I am Miss Pamela, and you've been listening to Pamela Daybar's Pajama Party. And please keep up with all I do at PamelaDebar.com, okay? And I have a lot of stuff going on, so check in with me now and then. And I'm on Instagram, too, of course, at ThePamelaDebar. A year ago today was when you went away. 
But now you'll come back knocking on my door And you'll say you're back to stay But I say Go cry On somebody else's shoulder I'm somewhat wiser now And one whole year older I should don't need you now I don't love you Anymore. You've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter.